Uh, the reading can be found on page 1083 of the Blue Bibles, and it's taken from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, and we're starting to read at verse 9 through to um, verse 20, 27. Jesus is speaking at this point. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they observed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
It's good to add my welcome to you this morning, especially if any of you are here for the first time or for joining us for the first time on our YouTube channel for our morning service. Uh, if you are here for the first time, you might think it's normal that we live in a building site, but I can assure you this is uh, unusual and a testimony to the hard work that's been done so far, more to do, and the great excitement with which we're looking forward to the Fisherman's Trail uh, starting very shortly. Uh, it's also going to be an unusual service uh, because today is the first in our series, uh, the Lord Willing, of six uh, under the heading of Jesus, Gender and Sexuality. Uh, and today's uh, sermon, notwithstanding what John said before, will be less like a normal St. John sermon where we take one passage and work through it. That is our bread and butter. Uh, that is how we believe that the Lord speaks to us uh, most plainly and clearly and powerfully. Uh, but in these next uh, six weeks, we're going to be taking more of a topical approach, uh, looking at a number of different passages of Scripture around this, uh, as I've been discovering, enormous heading of Jesus, gender, and sexuality. Uh, for those of you who've been around a little while, uh, this will be more like one of those real issues services that we used to do from time to time in the evening service. Uh, and because of that, there's opportunity to ask questions uh, afterwards. Uh, we, we think, having gathered coffee, uh, if you come and come around to this part of the building at the end of the service, uh, after five or ten minutes, that's where uh, we shall do that. Uh, you can put your hands up when we come to those question time, not in the main service, or uh, we'll still be going uh, when the children come back in and crash things. Uh, but at the end of the service, uh, we'll come up here. Questions, either put your hand up or you can ask at slido.com. Uh, you find that and put in the hashtag with our church office uh, phone number. Uh, when we come to questions, uh, really just uh, by way of ground rules, uh, let me just say that aggressive questions will not be tolerated. Uh, these are issues where there can be great passions uh, on various sides, and sometimes those things can be expressed forcefully. That's not what we're here for. Uh, we are those who follow Jesus, who was gentle and humble in heart. Uh, we are those who know we, how much we need the Lord's forgiveness and wisdom and grace. Uh, and if you're going to come in that spirit and help us seek the Lord's mind together, then you're very welcome. Uh, likewise, arrogant questions will receive short shrift. We need the Lord's help to understand both his word and the present and rapidly changing world around us. That's what we're aiming uh, to do. Uh, can I say as well that feedback uh, will be very welcome, uh, whether in person, which is preferable, uh, or by email. That's still five weeks to go after today. I hope you're all going to come back. We'll see how things go uh, today. Uh, but as we plunge into uh, today, uh, let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, you call us here at St. John's to be those who walk in truth and live in love. Because your Son is love and truth incarnate. And so we pray uh, in these uh, contested and painful and fraught issues that you would give us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, both grace and faithfulness, both compassion and your conviction. Help us, we pray, in these things, that we might indeed bear witness, as your Holy Spirit enables us to, to the person of Christ and his good word to us on these and all issues. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, questions, questions, so many questions. Uh, in this uh, first uh, one of the series, I'm just going to ask a number of the questions that either you've put to me or that I've uh, asked myself. We're not going to answer them all today. 
And it gives you a sense of the kind of questions uh, that I think we need to be addressing ourselves to as God's people who live in the the early 21st century in the Western world. Uh, Some of these questions arise and part of our culture war. Who would have thought that 10 years ago uh, anybody would struggle to answer the question, what is a woman? And yet now you ask a senior politician that question and you watch them uh, wriggle because they have no idea how to answer it in such a way as to not alienate a new group in our society. Or this one, is gender different to sex? Again, 20 years ago, I don't think any of us thought it was. When we did a real issues on this about five years ago, at that point in 2017, there were 71, according to Facebook. Well, according to the civil service document released this week, there are now over 100, and indeed there is no limit to the number of genders. What do we make of that? Uh, what if we are uh, died in the wool traditionalists and continue to believe that marriage is designed by God to be heterosexual? What if we say that out loud in the public sphere today? Should we? Or is it just needlessly divisive? Now, what is conversion therapy uh, and how should we respond? We've watched fairly, uh, as the government has fairly publicly responded to that. Uh, at first, in the Queen's speech, yes, they were going to ban it. Uh, then they did a consultation and said, no, we're not going to ban it. Then there was a backlash and they said, well, we'll ban some of it. This is, uh, again, a hugely contested area. How do we engage with media uh, when our media is so obsessed with uh, identity and sexuality questions? Uh, I'll confess to you, I sometimes play a little game. Uh, I look at the BBC News website uh, and I see if one day will go past where there is not on the front page a story related to these current questions uh, of identity and sexuality. I played it for a week, I won every day. Uh, I encourage you to play your own uh, version of that on the BBC News website uh, or another outlet of your choice. Uh, These subjects are not ones, though the accusation often comes, that Christians are obsessed about. They're the subjects that our world is talking about all the time. Did you know that roughly a third of all traffic on the internet is pornography? How do we live and respond and personally survive in this sex-saturated and obsessed world? Uh, Some of these questions uh, come uh, though, uh, or encouragingly, there are some voices being raised against uh, the consensus. Several reports have pointed out uh, that people nowadays in the 2020s are having considerably less sex than they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's interesting, isn't it? We talk about almost nothing else in our public discourse, and yet actually people are less and less sexually active. Something is not going well in our society. At the BBC, again, I was amazed at this, uh, recently broadcast a program uh, rehabilitating the legacy of Mary Whitehouse uh, for her, quote, decades-long battle against the normalization of pornography and child exploitation. In her own lifetime, the intelligentsia hated her. And the BBC, not that many years ago, uh, created a whole comedy show uh, devised around the parodying of her and the slurring of her memory. Uh, In today's uh, Mail on Sunday, the Education Secretary uh, will be quoted as saying, the chilling crushing of free speech needs to be countered. So there are some voices in our culture going in a different question. 
Some of these questions, though, arise in our workplace or school. Um, My eldest at college uh, pointed out to me that her college, uh, they celebrated International Women's Day one day, but they are now in the second full month uh, related to first LGBT history and now Pride. That shows you something of the prioritising, doesn't it, uh, in some of our institutions around these different issues. You're at work. The new lanyards come round with a rainbow on. Should you wear it? Or should you stand alone and thus raise questions about your awkward intolerance? What about pronouns? Increasingly, uh, if you're on Zoom or uh, in other uh, meetings, you're asked to give your pronouns, should you? And if someone uh, gives you theirs, should you use them? Here's a list from an American university uh, giving uh, 10 uh, different possibilities uh, for pronouns. And if that isn't sufficient, you can add your own in the free text box at the bottom. I don't put this up to caricature it, but to say this is the world in which many of us are now living. These are the questions we're having to ask on a daily basis, just when we go to work or to our place of study. I know two clergy in our region, uh, both of whom were working full-time as chaplains in church schools and who were both dismissed for teaching Jesus' view of marriage. The outrage that was caused uh, meant that they were sacked uh, in each case. One of them was referred to prevent uh, because uh, the referral uh, came because it was held that teaching marriage as only between a man and a woman uh, presented a danger of radicalization uh, for the students in the care of that chaplain. It's hard to imagine that happening even 10 years ago, but it is the world in which we live. One of these clergy I know well, people are losing their jobs as they articulate, even when they're paid to, Jesus' teaching on these subjects. Or again, perhaps if you're a parent, uh, how do you respond if your uh, school introduces SRE provided by one of the mainstream organisations often contracted into schools? Uh, This particular one, uh, their motto is their dedication to smashing heteronormativity. How do you respond as a parent if that particular group comes into your school? As I say, I'm just asking questions today. But these are the real questions that many of us are facing. Some of us, are, uh, some of these questions arise in our family or friendship groups. Your friend or your son or your brother or your cousin invites you to his wedding. As a Christian, do you go? Of course, you're immediately saying yes, but before you say yes, would your answer change if he was marrying another man? Would it change if he was marrying someone who'd been born male but who now identifies as female or vice versa? Uh, What if he's marrying a woman and the relationship began with an adulterous affair that broke up both of their previous marriages? What if, slightly less contentiously, he's marrying a divorcee? We've seen over the last century what happened first to Edward VIII and then Prince Charles as they did that and the radically different attitudes of the wider society to each of those two in that same family as they did so. And as you're answering this question, which is a real one uh, for many of us, well, would your answer be different if he was or claimed to be a Christian? And my guess is that even in this group, some of you are saying yes to every one of those. Others of you are saying no, and many of you are saying, I just don't know. Lord, I need your wisdom, and I need grace. These are real questions, and we need help to answer them. 
Some of these questions will be deeply personal. Uh, Does God still love me if I'm gay or bi or trans? What will following Jesus look like for me? Should I marry a non-Christian or does God want me to stay single? Everyone says that not having sex before marriage is foolish and even damaging. Should I listen to them or to God's word? I'm addicted to porn, and some of you certainly will be in a building uh, or a group this size. Uh, But no one knows. It's done secretly. Does it matter? What should I do about it? I don't really feel like I'm I'm actually a man or a woman, although on the outside, perhaps, uh, we present very uh, strongly as if we are. We keep that hidden. Am I trans? What does that mean? What does following Jesus mean for me if I'm trapped in a loveless marriage? What does Jesus say about identity and singleness and marriage and divorce and remarriage? These are not just theological or theoretical questions. They're deeply personal ones. We need help from the Lord, and we need help for each. We need to help each other to find God's answers to them. And of course, some of these questions are occupying or actually destroying our church. Will the Church of England endorse same-sex marriage as the Methodist Church has, as the Church of Scotland has, as the Church in Wales has recently done? If we do. What does that say about our loyalty to Jesus, who's taught very plainly about what marriage is? But if we don't, then what does that communicate to a culture that thinks we are acting contrary to justice and who is already hostile towards us and abandoning the church in droves? Why don't you just accelerate that trend? And to put the question, at least, why wouldn't we accept it if we accept heterosexual remarriage after divorce and the ordination of women as presbyters and priests. After all, when I was ordained 27 years ago, the church in that time argued that the Bible was clearly against both of those developments as well. We've changed on those issues. Why shouldn't we continue to change on this one? I'm just asking questions this week. I'm not even beginning to suggest the answers But what I hope I've uh, illustrated uh, is that we are in desperate need of some clear answers from God. We need to listen to Jesus' answers. Uh, And though we won't be looking at answers to those specific questions today, uh, this is more by way of an introduction to, well, here's just a segment of the vast array of questions today. We're just going to set ourselves the task of asking, how do we go about finding answers to some of those questions. And then in the remaining five weeks, uh, we'll explore some of those specific issues. You see, even asking these questions of Jesus, some would object to, uh, are these the sort of questions we should ask Jesus? You see, there are many in the more liberal or radical wings of the church who would say, no, Jesus is much more concerned about love and poverty, for example, than he is about human sexuality or these current questions around gender. You'll hear that argument quite often if you engage in discussions in the broader church. But consider Jesus' attention uh, to these alongside issues of sexual morality. Uh, Jesus refers 14 times to love in his teaching. 
Mutual love, we've just heard that in the passage that was read for us. Love for enemies, love for our neighbors, love for each other as the distinguishing mark of those who are authentic disciples. He refers 15 times to the poor. The gospel is good news to the poor. Uh, We're called to be generous. We're called to care uh, for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. But here's the surprise. Jesus refers 26 times to sexual morality that he teaches and expects his disciples to follow. Uh, One set of words uh, uh, refers to the awfulness of the breach of a relationship, the words uh, relating to adultery. Uh, The other word that needs no translation into English is the Greek word porn or porneia, which refers to illicit uh, sex of uh, many varieties. There were as many varieties in the first century as there are today. It's just now they're on the internet, and that's really the only difference. So, yes, absolutely, we should ask these questions of Jesus. Is it uncomfortable? Would we rather not, especially in public? Maybe so. But if we're to be true to Jesus as his disciples, then just as it shouldn't surprise you if we had a a series looking at love uh, or our social justice responsibilities to the poor, so it is absolutely right that we have a series like this uh, engaging in these questions of gender and sexuality. People uh, in his day were just as confused, just as sinful, just as damaged, and the gospel he preaches, the gospel he is, is still good news. Good news for all of us, whatever our questions, uh, wherever our choices in life have landed us. The grace of God and the truth of God in Jesus Christ meets us where we are today in saving power and in the Holy Spirit's ability and enabling to live a life as a faithful Christian disciple from this point. Just consider uh, the questions that Jesus was asked. Again, panning back and asking generally about what it is uh, to ask Jesus questions. Again, I'm uh, indebted to some uh, work that has been done by an American uh, minister uh, who's uh, published a a short booklet and uh, very helpfully given a spreadsheet uh, tabling every question uh, that Jesus was asked and the answers and all the questions that Jesus then asked as well uh, and drawn some conclusions from those. Uh, I found it really helpful. According to his analysis, uh, Jesus was asked 13 hostile questions, uh, one of which went unanswered. But all 28 questions that his disciples asked him were answered. Uh, That doesn't make it easy, because sometimes Jesus answers a question with a question back to us. Sometimes he doesn't answer straight away. Sometimes his answer was by way of a rebuke. And frequently he answers by turning the tables on the questioner and upending the very basis on which we'd ask the question in the first place. Because he knows our hearts. He knows from where the questions come. He knows if our desire really is to find his forgiveness and his will for us and our lives for the future. Or if we're just trying to justify ourselves or trip him up or find a way of following him that avoids some of the most costly and awkward commitments in the modern world. I think of those hostile questions uh, that Jesus has asked. Here's an example. Uh, Jesus' teaching provoked them and still does today. Uh, A man with a shriveled hand was there on one occasion. This is in Matthew 12. Uh, Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? 
How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, questions around the Sabbath are not currently hotly contested in our culture, either in the secular world or even here in our church, but they were in the first century because the uh, the Pharisees had added layers and layers upon the original law of God uh, and they sought to defend that, whereas Jesus wanted to turn back to the original revelation of God. And so Jesus does good on the Sabbath and teaches his disciples to do likewise. But here's what Matthew goes on to say. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So when Jesus is asked a hostile question and gives a marvelous answer, the response is not always, that's wonderful, thank you, Jesus, now we'll follow you. Often it is just increased hostility. So we should not be surprised, therefore, in principle, if adhering to and articulating Jesus' teaching on these, or indeed any matter, provokes not just willing new disciples, but also implacable hostility. The existence of hostility towards Jesus' teaching is not evidence that we need to change it. It may be. Or it may be that actually we're simply experiencing the same thing he did as we remain faithful to it. Does our conviction come from that which is merely a tradition of human beings as for the Pharisees? Or is it the word of God? If the latter, then we stand firm, whatever the outcome or response. But Jesus was asked many honest questions from his disciples. And that, I hope, is the spirit Uh, with a capital S, who draws us here and leads us on today. We ask him to teach us, and then we listen to his answers. So on many occasions we read things like this. Uh, The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. They want to understand. And he explains to them in order that they might better know him and be more faithfully equipped to serve him. You see, if we're Christians here, then we know and love him, and therefore we want to follow and obey his word. If confessed that we don't always do that, though we have new hearts, yet still we wrestle with the old man inside, we rightly confess our sins every day. But this is what it is to be a Christian. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey what I command. Or again this, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. If we know Jesus, then we will listen to him. If we love him, then we will obey him. And then we may find that he asks us some difficult questions in return. At the climax of each of the first three Gospels, Jesus' question comes, who do you say I am? It's a personal question to every person who encounters him and his teaching. And Peter is there to confess, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, if he really is the Christ, that is the king, if we really believe that, And if you don't yet, then I'm glad you're here and listening. You'll discover something today and as you join with us of what it means to know Jesus, to listen to his voice, to follow him as our king, to know that we have a place in his family because he is full of mercy and grace and forgives us and washes us and adopts us. But if he really is the king, and if we are Christians, then we confess that he is, then we must obey him. 
There is no question or gray area in this. Again, he puts it uh, personally uh, to Peter again on another occasion. uh, Do you truly love me? Perhaps like Peter at this point in the story, we've stumbled, either in what we've said or in what we've done, in our inner thoughts, in our public commitments. Well, Jesus is the God of restoration, of second chances, of new mercy that comes every day. And yet, as we receive that, so he says to us, do you truly love me? Will I have first place in your heart? And therefore, will you obey me even though it costs you? Or again, and I love the stained glass over in this part of our church building that depicts this story where uh, Jesus calls Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water over to him. And as he looks down at the waves and he sees the storm, so he is terrified. He begins to sink. And Jesus holds out his hand and says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He saves him and he rebukes him. When we look at the world around us today, especially those of us who've lived long enough to see the extraordinary changes, uh, as some of you in your own lifetime, uh, from when the Christian ethic uh, was that which nominally at least uh, was the respectable moral high ground of our society, to now when it is... uh, probably not known. If it is, it is probably despised and regarded as the very opposite of that which leads to good human flourishing. If we have any sense of the scale of the battle and the weakness of the church, well, then we may find ourselves in danger of sinking beneath the waters as well. Jesus reaches out his hands to us. You have little faith. Why did you doubt And the final question of his, by way of introduction, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Uh, James and John say enthusiastically but naively, yes, we can. At that stage, they have no idea that their faithfulness to Jesus will mean great personal suffering. Friends, I want to suggest to you that if we're faithful uh, to Jesus' teaching, particularly in these areas, we will find ourselves ridiculed and rejected hated by some, and maybe even worse. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink, Jesus says to us? Well, that's his challenge. And if we are afraid, then let us know that he will equip us. So, where are we? Well, questions of gender and sexuality are legion. They come from our culture, our workplaces, our schools, in our families, in our, amongst our friends. They are deeply personal. They are dividing the church. But if we take our Christian faith seriously, we need answers that Jesus is ready and willing to give. So let's ask them of Jesus. If you're willing to put aside your hostility, come and ask your questions of him. But be warned, his answers may not be easy or swift, and he will ask you searching questions of his own. But if we know and love him, then he will answer us. He will forgive us. He will enable us to follow and obey him. But how do we listen to his voice? And again, this is a contested question. Can we hear his voice? Some will say no, because we don't have access to it. I asked a cleric a few years ago, three or four years ago, what her understanding was of the Bible's teaching on marriage. She looked me in the eye and said, the Bible has nothing to say about marriage. Well, that's... An interesting point of view, isn't it? Because when I look at the Bible, it seems to say quite a lot about marriage. But she wasn't playing a game. 
she was convinced that, not that the Bible said nothing about marriage, but that God had nothing useful to say to us today through the Bible about marriage. Because everything the modern world has taught us has simply displaced, replaced, that which Christians would once have held to in the Scriptures. So can we hear Jesus' voice in connection with the Scriptures? Some really do say no. I'm not making that up uh, because we don't have access to it. And if there's any sense in which that's your question, uh, I can't address it now because time forbids, but I did do a Real Issues four years ago uh, on the authenticity and the trustworthiness of the Gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's on our website. I encourage you to find it. It was back in March uh, 2018. Uh, More commonly, Uh, One hears uh, something like this in the church. Uh, Yes, of course we can hear Jesus' voice, uh, but only in his quoted words in those four Gospels. And if only Moses or Paul said it, well, maybe we can ignore it. We can certainly treat it as less binding on the church today. What does Jesus say himself about how we are to hear his word today? Uh, Very famous, you'll know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to obey what he's commanded. Well, how do we have access to those commands? Well, just look briefly with me at what he commands about the Old Testament. He tells us it's all about him. He says we need his help to understand it. He says in several places, not least in the passage that Audrey read to us today, that he did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he endorses it in its entirety. That phrase in English, every jot and tittle, it comes from the old translation of Matthew 5:18, where Jesus is saying that of the scriptures. Genesis to Malachi, not a word, not a jot or a tittle, not even the smallest marking on the page, uh, will cease to have authenticity and authority for my disciples. And specifically, as we shall see in coming weeks, uh, he roots his own sexual ethic that he wants his disciples to follow in the Old Testament, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2. And he underlines the continuing authority particularly of the Ten Commandments. So in sum, uh, as he says, the scripture cannot be broken. Want to hear what Jesus is commanding us as his disciples to believe? Read the first two-thirds of your Bible, because he taught us that that is where God's voice is first to be heard. But what about what we call the New Testament, uh, Matthew to Revelation? Well, its ultimate author is also the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father to teach us the words of the Son, through the unique foundational ministry of the apostles. This is what Jesus said to his apostles on the night before he died. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's a unique promise to the apostles. We didn't physically hear Jesus speaking. We don't need reminding, therefore, of that because we weren't with him in his earthly ministry. But they who were are then uniquely gifted and equipped by the Holy Spirit to write down Jesus' word so that we may know what he teaches us in the New Testament as well. Or again, he says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you unto all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 
In other words, as we set ourselves off on this journey, uh, all scripture is God-breathed. I've nearly finished. Uh, And is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness in issues to do with gender and sexuality and love and poverty and everything else as well. And so just to be crystal clear at this point, what Paul or David or Moses or John says, Jesus says. Jesus' answer to our questions is the Bible. All of it is his word because that is what he himself taught us. And if we love and follow him, then that means we will treasure and search and then commit ourselves to believing and obeying everything in the 66 books of the Bible. That is why Paul uh, commends the Thessalonians in these words. Uh, We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work through you, in you who believe. So friends, as we close, let us confidently and humbly and expectantly bring our questions to God's word. The Father declares, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Jesus declares, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, he says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And in a good Trinitarian fashion... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are conscious in our culture and from our hearts. There are so many questions. Many of them make us anxious. Many of them cause us grief or guilt. Many of them leave us wondering how on earth we can be faithful to you, either in our own lives or in the public square. And we pray, Lord, that you would have mercy upon us, that in these weeks, as we ask our questions of you, you would give us humble and contrite hearts, that we might discover uh, the fresh joy of fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, as we hear your rebuke and as we attend to your voice. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us, reform us, revive us, renew us, that we might truly bear witness to what it is to know Jesus who is full of grace and truth in these matters and in all of life today. Amen.